Well, if you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 15. Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 901. It's also in your bulletin. So many different ways. Um, we're looking at verses 1 through 17. At least that's what I will read. But uh, primarily we'll focus on verses 1 through 11. And this is the last sermon in our I Am Statements of Jesus sermon series. In using the phrase I am, Jesus is invoking uh, divinity. He's using God's divine name that God spoke to, to Moses. Uh, he said, tell them I am sent you. My name is I am. And so over these past number of weeks, we've investigated Jesus' words when he said things such as, before Abraham was, I am. Or, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And now today, Jesus is with his disciples in that upper room. And he's preparing them for his departure. Soon he will physically leave them. They will feel cut off from Jesus forever. But he has good news for them and for us too. They're found in these wonderful words, I am the vine and you are the branches. John 15 verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that wherever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word to us. Your, your written word has life in it, but only if your spirit attends to it, to our souls. And so 
we, we don't want to presume upon that grace, but we do ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that we can apprehend and understand these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples then and to us here today, we pray. Amen. What if I were to say to you, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. There we go. I think like 90% of you would roll your eyes or laugh at me. Uh, our visitors, probably you'd scratch your heads and say, I'm, I'm never coming back to this church. And yet when Jesus says abide in me, he is not wanting us to roll our eyes or walk away. In our passage, Jesus says abide in me multiple times. So his desire is what? For us to understand clearly what he is saying. In verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying this. He's saying your life is like a branch that is meant to bear beautiful fruit that pleases the Heavenly Father. He's saying, if you abide in me, I will be as a vine who nourishes you and causes you to be healthy and fruitful. But for the one who does not abide in me, he says, this person's life will, will be like a withering stick, dried up and fruitless, fuel for the fire, that is. And so these words are either words of a madman or some of the most captivating words our human ears could ever begin to entertain. I think it's the latter. And so this morning, let us dive deep into Jesus' words. Let us be content with nothing less than finding delight in them. And as we do, may we recognize that Jesus is our only hope. And therefore, when we hope in him and abide in him, he produces beauty and glory and fruit in our lives that is so, so satisfying. We must abide in Jesus, for he alone can make our lives fruitful and joyful. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And we'll, we will see that Jesus' words are both captivating and threatening. Captivating and threatening. First, captivating. Have you ever uh, had your computer open and you see your emails open and, and you, you, you click on, a, on an advertisement only to be disappointed? You get that captivating email from your favorite online store. Huge sale, up to 75% off. What, you say? You click on it. But then you find out everything is really just like 5%, maybe 10% off, except for that, that one thing, you know, that is 75% off. It's the pea green mock turtleneck, size triple XL, right? And then you say to yourself, I will never do that again. Yeah, right. They get you every time. Listen, let's be clear. Jesus is not for sale, okay? And actually, when you finally see him for who he truly is, you would sell everything in order to get him. Jesus is telling those first disciples this captivating truth. And because it is Jesus that says these words, we know he's not pulling the old bait and switch on us. Jesus is saying, live your life united to me and the fruitful, joyful life that only God can give will come to you. Abiding in Christ is captivating. 
Listen, because Jesus says He offers you Himself. Jesus offers you all of Himself without reservation. He holds back nothing. And this is why this, this analogy of the vine is so captivating. Here on the East End, there's a number of vineyards out here, right? We drive by them almost, almost every day. So we're kind of acquainted with this vine picture. The vine is that fat trunk that grows up out of the, of the ground that has some branches on it. And, and, and if you could look below the surface, you would know that there's a root system that goes and scatters all underground. And that the roots, they, they, they bring up life-sustaining water but also um, fruit-producing nutrients. The vine is the source that leads to the fruitfulness of the branches. You see, a branch has no life in itself. Only in abiding in the vine is life sustained. Another analogy is that of a deep-sea diver. Warren Wiersbe writes this. He says, Just as a deep-sea diver survives underwater by breathing oxygen sent down from above, so God's people grow and serve on earth because they have a living connection with Jesus Christ in heaven and they abide in Him. So consider this captivating reality. Jesus doesn't need anything from us. The vine takes nothing from the branches. The vine lives solely for the sake of the branch. My friends, that's who Jesus is saying He is for us. And we need to know Jesus is not stingy. He will hold nothing back from all who abide in Him. Jesus wants you to see that the only life worth living is found in Him as you attach yourself to Him, the divine vine. And so know this, it matters not your past. The only thing you need is a sense of need. There's no strings attached. He isn't even saying things like, go and clean yourself up and, and then you can come and abide in me. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. See, the disciples are gathered in this upper room. They have heard Jesus' words for the last three years. They've come to believe that He really is the Messiah, the Son of God who's come to, to save them. And so Jesus is the one who can clean you, clean you so that you can belong to Him. And He does this. Why? Because all that Jesus wants to do for you is give you life. That's what vines do for branches. Vines give life to branches. Isn't this truth captivating? It means no matter how depleted you feel in life, no matter how inadequate you think you are at making life work, no matter how inept you feel at creating your own better future, Jesus says, abide in me. He is saying, I will do the work for you. Think about it. All the branches have to do in order to produce fruit is what? Be connected to the vine. It's the life of the vine that flows into them. Now, our problem, mankind's problem since the fall, is that we actually deny our need. Oh, I can produce fruit apart from Jesus. Just watch me. I don't need Jesus to bear fruit. I guess it all comes down to how you define fruit. We humans tend to define fruit from our own vantage point. 
If we do something that other human beings come along and pat us on the back, well, then it must be good fruit because other people seem to like it. But here's how Jesus defines good fruit. Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Fruit is good fruit only if it brings glory to God. In some sort of way, it honors Him, flows from Him back to Him. Now, I know it's hard for many of us postmoderns to wrap our heads around this, but any, quote, good deed that you do that isn't done in a way that glorifies God is actually bad fruit. Let me try to explain it this way. I don't know if this has ever happened, but suppose a person sneaks into his neighbor's property and steals all kinds of building materials, and he builds this magnificent park and a giant playground for all the people in the community to come and enjoy. And then he gets all kinds of praise from the community, right? People come up and say, wow, look at all the fruit of your labors. You're really a good man. Wish I could be more like you. But we know the story. It's a story of stolen glory, right? My friends, that is what our fallen lives are like. We take the, the one life that God gives us to live in His presence for His glory. We take that one life and we run from Him and we set up shop and create fruit for our own glory. And so, understand this. Sin isn't just all these little things that you've done wrong. It is also the good things that you've done for your own glory. Which is why Christians just don't repent from our bad deeds. We also repent from our so-called good deeds. Jesus wants us to attach ourselves to Him so that we can finally, finally bear fruit that pleases God. This is why Jesus says what He says in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in Him, he it is that bears much fruit. Then listen, for apart from Me, you can do what? Nothing. Jesus doesn't say, listen, Jesus doesn't say, apart from Me, it'll be really hard. Jesus doesn't say, apart from me, it'll take a little bit longer. No, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That must humble us. It needs to humble us. Jesus says, you are helpless and hopeless apart from him. But, but when we abide in Christ, Jesus the vine, He does the work that all good vines do. He produces good fruit that brings glory to God our Father. It's captivating, isn't it? What Jesus is saying. Jesus says to us all, look at your life. See the fruit that you're trying to produce apart from me, but you're really not. But cheer up. Turn to me. Let me clean you from your selfish, self-glorifying life. Come and abide in me. And now... Now, look out. You'll become so fruitful and your life will be full of joy. How will you become fruitful and joyful? Well, Jesus says when you abide in Him, uh, one thing happens is your prayers become fruitful. Verse 7, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. Understand this, when, when we come to Christ and, and we trust our lives to Him, we, we become people who love Him and truly desire 
to, to seek after Him and honor Him. We meditate upon His words because they change us. And, and we delight to obey Him as best we can. And so we ask Jesus, our vine, we, we ask Him for things that, that are according to His will, and, 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 and He answers those prayers. Of course, it might be you know, a little longer than we might wish to wait for those answered prayers. But He answers prayers. And what happens is, we become people who bear fruit. We Perhaps we ask Jesus to help us minister to a dying friend and he bears through, fruit through us for his glory. We ask God to help us endure in a difficult marriage and he gladly answers that prayer and he produces fruit in us. And in turn, we come to help others in their difficulties in marriages. You see, because our prayers are for God's glory, Jesus delights to answer them and He produces fruit in our lives. And guess what? It's contagious, right? We pray and God produces fruit. It delights us. We're like, we feel alive. And we pray for more. And He produces more fruit in us. It becomes a cycle. And it fills us with joy. That's what Jesus is getting at in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, listen to what He says, that my joy may be in you. How much? And that your joy may be full. Jesus says it is His joy that we experience. And He isn't stingy with it. Jesus' desire for you is that His joy in you be full. Lacking nothing. If I only had a little bit more joy, no. Captivating, isn't it? When we abide in Christ, He produces fruit in us. It makes us joyful. We feel alive. We, we feel like finally we're part of something big and transcendent with purpose and meaning. And it gives us joy. I would have the joy of Jesus in us. Know this, Jesus never lacked joy. Not that his life was easy. He was often quite tired. His disciples often faltered. The crowds that sang his praises for three full years ended up shouting in the end, crucify him. But through it all, Jesus never lacked for joy. In fact, his joy overabounded. It's his joy that led him to the cross and through the cross for you and me. The writer in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and protect and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, Jesus says that his joy, his pain enduring, his shame despising his cross-conquering joy will be in all who abide in him. My friends, listen. Listen well. <laughs> I'm not going to put this on vibrate. This needs to be heard. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> all right. Now, listen to this. 
My friends, your problem isn't that you just need better circumstances. Your problem is you need a joy that is greater than your circumstances. And Jesus offers you that. That's what Jesus produces all who abide in Him. My friends, our Christian lives cannot be lived as Red Bull Christians. You know what I'm saying? Or the five-hour energy type? We come up with our own ideas of what Jesus wants for us and we, we maybe read a quick verse and we go rush off in the day and we try to accomplish great things. It's kind of like just drinking a five-hour energy. It's going to be gone. And, and, and there's never a sense of joy in that. We always You can feel deflated and defeated because you're doing things in your own strength and when you fall short, you're like, I must be a real cruddy Christian. I can never do this. That's not what Jesus is calling us. He's not calling us to Red Bull Christianity. He's calling us to be part of the vine. And so it's not just something you do on Sunday to get a little, little, you know, a little five-hour energy, and then, and then the rest of the week is just whatever. No, it's this is abiding in Him, trusting in Him. And when we do that, when we when we say, Jesus, I don't know what this day holds for me, but whatever it is, I want it to be something fruitful for Your glory. Let me walk in Your Spirit today, wherever that takes me. Help me be open and to see the hurts around me, that I can minister your goodness and your glory to people that, that I haven't even met yet, perhaps, today. That's, that's where the fruit is produced. It's, it's not something that we're supposed to just take a quick shot of Red Bull and, and go and try to do things in our own strength. My friends, when we, when we get this, when we get what Jesus is offering to us, it humbles us, but it also causes us to, to want to be abiding in Him. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine, abide in me. And these, his, these words of his are captivating, but they're also threatening. Jesus being the vine is a threat to both believers and unbelievers alike. And why is that? Well, Jesus says, because God the Father is what? The vine dresser. Verse 1, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser's job is to maximize the fruitfulness of the vine. In the Bible, there's only two types of wood. Live wood or dead wood. For fruit or for fuel. For bearing or for burning. And so the vine dresser carries a knife on his hip. And it's used for one of two tasks. To cut away branches or to prune branches. Either way, both are threatening but for different reasons. The vine dresser cuts away fruitless branches. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. What is Jesus talking about? Who are these people? Well, J.C. Riles, uh, he writes about these branches. He says, There are false Christians as well as true ones. They are the branches in the vine which appear to be joined to the parent stem and yet bear no fruit. They are men and women who appear to be members of Christ and yet will prove finally to have no vital union with Him. There are myriads of professing Christians in every church whose union with Christ is only outward and formal. Some of them are joined to Christ by baptism or church membership. Some of them go even further than this and are regular communicants and loud talkers about religion. 
but they all lack one thing needful. They have no grace in their hearts, no faith, no inward work of the Holy Spirit. In the sight of God, they are dead. I went jet skiing years ago in uh, on a lake, um, in a cove in a lake, a very shallow, muddy bottom to that lake. And you should have seen me, though. I was zooming around and turning and slowing down and, like, accelerating. I was having a blast. And, and from the front, everything just looked fine. There was a smile on my face. My hair was flowing back. And that, that jet ski was just bouncing around. But then I turned around and I saw what was in my wake. I had stirred up all the mud and the dead leaves from the shallow bottom. What was once clear water became a frothy brown. In a sense, this is what false Christians look like. Out front they look the part. They fool lots of people, even in the church, even themselves. Because they're certain that they're Christians. They know Scripture. They say things that Christians would say. Out front, they looked apart. But behind them, often unseen to fellow Christians, is the muddy wake they leave behind. They don't fool God, though. And they usually don't fool their family members. At some point, the kids get old enough and they see the hypocrisy. The wife knows it all too well. She's experienced the wake of failed promises, broken peace, all the selfish outcomes, the blame shifting, the anger, the self-righteousness. Eventually, all the anti-fruit piles up so high it cannot be avoided. And if you're sitting here right now, and if for some reason you realize that perhaps this is you, it's not too late. But you will need to do the one thing you thought you did years ago when you went to that camp and you went forward or, or how you were so involved in the church years ago. You think you've already done it, but what you need to do is for finally the first time in your life, own your junk. Be humble before God. Stop making excuses. Stop pointing at others. Own it and repent and turn to Christ. Then and only then, Will the life of Christ begin to, to flow in you? And check this out. The sap of God's grace will be pressed into you and cause that dead wood to grow green. And then you go out and you bear fruit for His glory. But if you do nothing then what you are is what you will always be, dead wood. Good for only being taken away and burned. The true vine's words here this morning, they're threatening to dead wood. For those who are faking it. But it also challenges us who are live wood. Jesus says that, that his father, the vine dresser, not only takes away the dead wood, just cuts it off, but every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes 
that it may bear more fruit. Ouch. What is this pruning? <laughs> and why do we need it? Vine dressers know that if you do not prune a branch, it can do what they call running to wood. That is the, the branch, when it runs to wood, that's all it does is it, is it grows and grows and grows and thickens, but never produces any sort of fruits. In my family, uh, out back in the little plot, we, every year we've got a, a little vegetable garden. And I don't so much care what goes in the garden, just so long as there are like three or four tomato plants. Um, problem is my dog Gus really likes tomatoes. He eats all the tomatoes off the plant. But that's not why I mentioned that. Um, I don't really know a whole lot about growing tomatoes, other than you got to get them in the sunlight, and you have to have enough water. And then something my dad taught me years ago. It's the secret to fruitful tomato plants. You've got to pinch the suckers. That's what he'd say. you got to pinch the suckers. And, and, and recently I found out he didn't make up that term, right? Suckers are what tomato farmers call the little growth stalks that start growing where the, where the branches fork away from the vine. To the untrained eye, they look just like any other branch that will go out and grow fruit, but actually they are not fruit-producing growth. They run to wood, as they say. And so if you don't pinch off the suckers when they're small, they will grow and grow and grow, and they will sap away the energy and the nutrients that should be going towards producing fruit. Jesus is saying that his heavenly father is the vine dresser in your life and he will pinch away the suckers. He will trim off the unproductive growth, the things that you're doing in your life where you're running off to wood. And he does this so that you can be more fruitful. Write this down. It is the well-pruned vine that produces the most fruit. It is the well-pruned vine that is most fruitful. If you've ever gone to a vineyard, maybe some of you have, and you've, and you've looked up close at an old fruitful vine, it looks a bit odd, doesn't it? It's like this really thick, like a, almost like a tree trunk growing out of the ground. But then there's these just short spindly little branches that are like perfectly trained to go in the right direction in order to get just the best sunlight. And whereas a wild grapevine will have many branches going everywhere, a well-pruned vine will be compact and efficient. And so during growing season, because there's not a lot of long branches, most all of the energy in the vine goes directly towards what? The production of fruit. My friends, our Christians, Christian lives, they, they begin is, we begin them as unpruned vines with energies going all sorts of places. And so we're only able to produce at that point some fruit. But the Father prunes us so we may bear more fruit and then much fruit. Did you see that in the passage? Let me point that out to you. Look again at the second part of verse two. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, that's some fruit, he prunes that it may what? Bear more fruit. And then in verse 5 we read, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Do you see the progression in the Christian life? God go, God prunes us so that we go from producing some fruit to producing more fruit to producing much fruit. Problem is, this is painful. There's a knife involved. It's in God's hands and he cuts. Like your dog who learns to run away when you see, when he sees those nail clippers come out. Our tendency is to run from God's pruning. And when we run, we can run to wood. Let me ask you, as you think back over every hero in the Bible and every hero throughout the existence of Christ's church, can you point to one who wasn't pruned in some sort of significant way? For Abraham, God pruned away his homeland and the family of his youth go into this land, leave it all behind. David, God pruned him as he spent years hiding in caves from King Saul. And what was his fruit? David wrote Psalm 3, and he sang it out loud, and now we sing it too. But you, O oh Lord, you are my shield. You lift my head. My friends, this is Jesus' promise to us. And it feels threatening. God will prune you. God will prune away your idol of the idyllic family. He'll prune away your love of money or comfort or status or successful career. Whatever that, that you, whatever that green thing that you've been doing that's gonna just run to wood, he will prune that away. And the sooner the better. Because the longer it takes, the more painful it is, right? Focus on this. His pruning makes it so that you can bear more fruit and experience more of his joy. We need God's pruning. We need him to pinch the suckers off of our lives. Yes, it's painful, but the gain far outweighs the pain. Understand, this is how Jesus lived. This is how he lived and how he died for you. The gain far outweighed the pain. In verse 13, Jesus describes how the gain outweighs the pain. How is it? The answer is his love for us. Greater love has no one than this. No one has any greater love than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. My friends, Jesus left heaven with that purpose to gather a people and to lay down his life for them, his bride, his church. And my friends, when we abide in Christ, we abide in his love. And so when the pruning comes, we look and we, we see his love towards us, which means to us that, that, that the, the pain outweighs the gain, no matter what God is doing to prune in our lives. And when this reality begins to take some traction in your life, that is when you go from producing some fruit to more fruit, and that's when you go from producing more fruit to much fruit. 
And listen, you stop running from the pruning knife. You stop questioning why you're being pruned. And you start welcoming the pruning. In fact, you start coming to God for the pruning. You become one who prays that God would prune you. Father, I'm so tired of this besetting sin in my life. It's robbing you of the fruit I was made to made to, to, to produce. Please prune it from me soon. I don't want to I don't want to grow to wood. Oh Grace Church, that we would pray these kind of prayers. May we come fully to our senses. We must abide in Jesus, for He alone can make our lives fruitful and joyful. May we see that Jesus is the vine and that He lives His very life in heaven. He lives so that His life can come into our lives. May this captivate us. May we abide in Him and in His love. And may we welcome the pruning of our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these words. They are captivating for sure. We, we often kind of just doubt it. We, we, we don't really believe that, that this life is, is ours as we abide in you. And so, so we, we go for the five hour energy Christianity. May, may that be, may we be done with that. Maybe right now as we come to the Lord's table, forsake such living. May we, may we abide in you. And never forsake you. May we experience uh, the painful at times pruning, Heavenly Father, from your hands. For it's for our good. Joy may be worked in us. Your kingdom's purposes may, may flourish through us. We pray for this good work to continue. Amen.